0: This is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. So it's been a while since we've done a deep dive, and what a deep dive is, it's like Candice uh, doesn't have a um, sermon series going on right now, and so it's like something in the middle of the sermon series, and so I get to do that. And I'm happy to be with you guys. Uh, as Chris said, my name is Isaiah Stoddart. I'm the youth pastor here at Freedom Valley. And it's great. I'll tell you guys, for those of you who don't know public speaking, you got to remember to breathe, like, <laughs> so, so it happens, I might just stop and breathe sometimes, but thank you guys, first off, Freedom Valley Church for allowing me to be your youth pastor, um, that's really been a privilege and an honor, and thank you. And it's been great. I'll tell you something that we've been getting into. Yesterday, uh, we had our second Bible quiz meet. So what Bible quiz is, Is um, it's a district-wide thing with the Assemblies of God who we're affiliated with. And a bunch of different churches, they get together and they read um, and they memorize certain passages of the Bible. And then the teenagers get together and then they uh, like sit with buzzers and they try to answer questions. And whichever team answers the most, they win. And um, this is our first year doing it. So our first meet didn't go very well. But it wasn't like uh, we left like, feeling defeated because we were like, oh, we didn't know any of this. So we, we, we weren't too upset. It was kind of inevitable. But the second time, we kind of knew what was going on. And we won our first match, which was awesome. Um, I was going to bring up uh, two of my students, and neither of them are here, and that's unfortunate. But Erin Smith, um, this uh, the first meet we were at, she was top 10, and this meet she was top 10 again. And so she's out there killing it, and I was uh, going to bring Jesus up, because Jesus got top three. And that dude killed it. <laughs> All right. So I'm super proud of them. And uh, as Chris was up here saying, uh, we got the spaghetti dinner coming up. I hope that you guys will come out to that. Uh, Just make it a dinner date or a family or whatever. It's going to be a fun time. It was a fun time last year. And as he said, being served by teenagers, it's it's an interesting experience. But to be fair, like last year, I didn't think that they were going to do good at all. All I saw in my head was a teenager spilling spaghetti all over someone. But they did a great job, like way better than I thought. So, you know, like we'll make fun of them. Them and stuff, but they—they're they're, you—you aren't going to come and leave dirty, at least you know, hoping not to break the streak, right? But it was great, and also it was that in winter retreat, and that is going to be exciting. I'm excited for that, and thank you to anyone who uh, gives towards that to help our students go. And I want to thank Aaron and Candace again, as I said earlier, they are in Harrisburg uh, helping out. Um, oh. Why, why is my Beck and Tommy Arnold at a rescue community church? And uh, they are on their sabbatical, which Aaron and Candice were on, and they helped Candace while uh, they were on their sabbatical. They spoke here uh, a number of months ago. And so they're there doing that, and they asked me to speak. So the last time, the last few times I've spoken here at Freedom Valley, it was in the middle of a sermon series because it's, it's been a while since we've had anything in between. And so usually I have a general idea of what to base my sermon on. Candace is like, hey, this is a sermon series. Um, this is the idea of it. You can kind of go with it, but this stick to this. I'm like, okay. But this time, since it's a deep dive, since it's in the middle, in between sermon series, which Candace told me to tell you next week we start a new sermon series based off the churches and the book of Revelation. So that's interesting. Hope they see you guys out for that. But this time... All right. Candice, she came up to me. She's like, hey, uh, I'm leaving. Can you speak? I'm like, sure. And so basically what she did is she grabbed a big old Bible and just slammed it in front of me and said, have at it. You know, it's just you can preach on whatever you want. It's a big book, guys. There's a lot of stuff. And so that can be daunting. But, uh, but what was awesome was that I knew immediately what I was preaching on, which makes my life a lot easier, which is nice. But she came up to me and she said, Isaiah, would you preach when I go to speak at back in Tommy Arnold's church? I'm like, all right, I'm preaching on holiness. And right from the get go, because around that time, God was feeling distant in my life. Which happens to pastors too. All right, we are, we aren't necessarily holier than thou, you know, like we're people too. And you know, when that happens, you go to God, God, what's up? We good? Like, what's going on? Is this just a season I have to walk through, or do I do something wrong? And so I did that, went to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit pointed out some things in my life that He wasn't okay with. And particularly, it had to do with my speech at times. And you know when God has a problem with the way that you've been talking, It's concerning. For those of you who don't know, James one twenty six says if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion's worthless. Well. That's not good. <laughs> That's serious. And so I don't want my religion to be worthless. I've based my life off what I believe. Yeah, not a good place to be. But, so I need to be better at controlling my tongue is basically what I'm learning. And how's that been going since then? Not great, admittedly. All right. James 3 verses 2 and 7 through 9 are no joke. It says, indeed, we all make many mistakes for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control every uh, desire in every way. Uh, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the, the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. I'm sure everyone in this room feels this. After all, it does say, no one can tame the tongue. We all have problems with our speech at times. And so, needless to say, this is something that I'm going to have to continue to work on, not just now, but probably throughout the rest of my life. I'll get better, but am I going to get to a place where I can control every aspect of my life? No, that's just the reality. And so I need to control, I need to get better at controlling my speech, primarily when playing video games. Okay? For those of you who play video games, maybe you, maybe you understand, all right? But I, need to be, but I need to be better at that. But what's more interesting and really where the topic of holiness came up in the middle of this is that uh, the Holy Spirit, it pointed out two things, really. They both have to do with my speech. But um as I was looking at what the things that God was pointing out in my life, there was there was a separation. There was one part that I knew was wrong that I'm like, you you got me, Holy Spirit. I know, I know that's sinful, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But there was another part that wasn't. And that confused me. It's like, why are you pointing this out? So I went to God. God, I know some of the things I've been saying, the way I've been talking, it's wrong. You know, I know, I'm sorry. Please help me to do better at controlling my tongue. But these other things, they aren't wrong. At least not to my understanding of what the Bible teaches. So what's up? Like, why is my conscience taking issue? Why are you pointing out these things specifically? And God, as he likes to do from time to time, he is extremely specific and tells you exactly what he's trying to say. Um, God responded with one word, and he said, holiness, holiness. And holiness, okay. You know, this is a word that people have been in church, you know, we've heard it a few times. I guess I understand what holiness means, right? Do I? I've been in church my whole life, I've heard it, but have I taken the time to truly understand what it is to be holy? I don't know. And so I took that and I ran with it. I took that question, I ran with it. I ended up finding an answer to the questions I had and coming to a deeper understanding of what it is to be holy. And I get to share that with you guys today. Um, So to really understand and grasp what holiness is according to God, we have to examine both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Someone who just reads one or the other will miss some things and not really get the complete picture of what it means to be holy. So we're going to read then we're going to read pieces from the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to put them together and find a complete picture. But first, let's define the word. I like defining things, all right, especially nowadays, where one word can mean a million different things, and one word that, have, that meant this a second ago now means this. All right, so let's define holy. The word used for holy in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kodesh, and the New Testament Greek is the word hagios. Say hagios. It's fun. All right. And these are both defined as set apart, different, other, or otherness. Now, when people tend to think about holiness nowadays, we think of words like purity, perfection, sinlessness. Does that ring a bell when you guys think of holiness? It did to me. And because our minds, when we think of holiness, typically go straight to morality, But that's not actually what the word means at its core. We'll see where those connotations come from as we go along. But in the ancient world, when the word holy was used, it was simply used to describe anything out of the ordinary, anything that was not normal, anything that was other. So any god, for example, in ancient times was holy, regardless of their moral standing, Gods fit the definition because they are set apart from humanity. They are different. They are other because of their perceived supernatural power and might. doesn't matter if the God is good morally or bad morally, a prostitution God, a like human sacrifice God. They're all holy by definition as they are set apart. And obviously, our God, Jesus Christ, Yahweh, it fits in, He fits into this description well. Not only does He fit the description of holiness, He is the epitome and the apex of what it is to be holy. Yahweh is set apart, not only from humanity, but set apart from all other gods. He is different from them as He wasn't created by human hands. He is—he alone is the one true God. Yahweh is set apart from all of its creation as creator. All-powerful, all-knowing, Yahweh is holiness, the standard of what that word means. And now that we have the definition of holiness, let's go and learn more about holiness from Israel. We're in the Old Testament now. The Israelites were God's chosen people, different from any other people group on earth. A people chosen to be in covenant relationship with the one true God. And now with that understanding, they are, by the definition that we have, holy, right? They're set apart from every other people. They are the one and only chosen people of God on the earth. And with that understanding, it makes what happens in chapter 19 of Leviticus strange. Because Leviticus chapter 19 starts out this way in verse 1. The Lord also said to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord God, am holy. Here we have God giving a command to his people, Israel, who, as we just talked about, they are the definition of a holy people, a people set apart from the world, dedicated to God. But here... God's commanding them to be holy. And that's strange. Aren't they already holy, God? Like, why are you telling them to be holy when you are the one who separated them from the rest of the earth and made them holy? And then, right after this, right after God says this, he goes on and he begins to instruct Israel on how to live moral lives. In this chapter, God commands them to show, uh, for example, great respect for their mother and father. He commands them to observe the Sabbath, to not worship idols, to not steal, don't cheat, don't seek revenge. All of this under the guise of the command to be holy. And this teaches us that in God's view, when God thinks of holiness... Holiness and living a moral life are not separate from each other. And we begin to see God expanding the Israelites as well as ours, our understanding of what it means to be holy from God's perspective, not just, the de- not just by base definition. And But this is where contemporary understanding of the word holy comes from. When we hear the word holy, and anyone even just in America, even outside the church, when they hear the word holy, their minds go to morality. And the reason that is, is because of the Bible. American culture, when holiness has the context of the Bible, a biblical context, our culture understands it because of that. Now to fully understand what's going on here. And to learn more about holiness, we have to understand some things about Levitical law, because that is what's going on here. God is beginning to hand out and teach the Israelites Levitical law, the law of Moses. And in that, there's a distinction between how God thinks versus how the world thinks. Now, when the world thinks of things like morality, they have two ways of thinking. All right? Something is either good or something's either bad. And that's the way the world thinks. That's a good person. That's a bad person. You know, they're okay, but you know, they're they're not really great. This is the way that the world thinks. But when we examine Levitical law and the way that God views things, there are three ways of thinking. Can you put that uh, chart up behind me? There you go. There are holy, sacred, and godly things. Things that pertain to God, things that are used for God's purposes. There are clean, common, good things. The everyday things, the things that are just, you know, normal, good things, but not necessarily holy, uh, set apart for God's purposes, but also not like bad, you know? And then there's the unclean, sinful, and bad things. And that something connects them. It's like a ladder of sorts that goes both up and down. You can take a holy thing and you can make it common. This happens when you profane what is holy. When you desecrate the sacred. You do this by treating something that is holy and sacred with irreverence and disrespect. And then that thing becomes common. You can take a common and clean thing. And make it sinful or unclean. You do this by corrupting what is good or common or polluting what was once clean. But you can also go the other way. You can redeem what is unclean. You can redeem the sinful bad things. You can do this by taking something that is unclean, sinful, and bad and cleansing it removing the impurities and the corruption, making that thing clean, common, and good, making it an everyday thing. And you can take something that is common, clean, or good, and you can make that thing holy, sacred, and godly. And you do that by consecrating it. And it's here where God taught me the answer to one of the questions I had in the beginning. Um, The part that dealt with my speech that wasn't sinful. Where I was looking and God pointed out two things. I was like, okay, I repent for that, but that I'm confused about. This was the answer to that. Because as I was understanding this chart, relearning this chart, since I've seen it in the past when I studied Leviticus a number of years ago, as I was beginning to relearn this, God brought to my mind 1 Corinthians 10.23, and this is what it says. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And then I understood why God was pointing out that part as a problem. How I was speaking wasn't unclean, sinful, and bad. It was common speech. But not everything that is common is beneficial. Not everything that is common is constructive to our lives. And that is why my conscience and the Holy Spirit was taking issue with something that the Bible doesn't necessarily call sinful. So in your life, if your conscience, if the Holy Spirit takes issue with anything in your life, And that leads to some confusion maybe or some conflict because the Bible doesn't necessarily say that's sinful. Listen to your conscience. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Stop doing it. Because when not used properly, the common can profane the holy. And we're not called to be common. We're called to be holy. Now as a side note, regarding this uh, chart. Actually, before I go to that, I did have in here Romans 14.23, and it says this, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So remember that. When your conscience boils up and you're like, well, that's not wrong. If it's there and you just continue to do it, the Bible says it's sinful. Now back to this chart, because uh, as a side note, if anyone is struggling with reading through Leviticus... Okay, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, who in here has read these books? All right, keep your hands raised. Now put your hand down if you didn't struggle reading these books. Wait, now put your hands down if you struggled with reading this book. There you, my hands down. all right. Leviticus and Deuteronomy are difficult books to read. They are hard and the thing is understanding this chart super helpful makes things a lot more clear. all right uh, sometimes believers are a little scared to read the Old Testament. Uh, it's different. And it doesn't translate to our culture, so it's hard to understand. But understanding things like this is extremely helpful. I found this in a YouTube video years ago when I was reading through trying to understand Leviticus. So if you're reading that, here's a chart for you. It's You can uh, look it up on the app in our sermon notes. Also, I wanted to make something extremely clear. Because this confuses a lot of people when we're talking about Levitical law. Uh, on here, unclean things and sinful things, they are not necessarily synonymous All right. In Levitical law, everything that is sinful is unclean, but not everything that is unclean is sinful. Much of the Old Testament law has to deal with ritual purity instead of moral purity and hygiene. Okay. So some things that uh, would make you unclean include uh, exposure to dead bodies. That would make you unclean. You would have to separate yourself um certain bodily fluids being exposed to that would make you unclean. Skin diseases, there's whole chapters of God saying if the skin is like this or like this, then they're unclean or then they're alright. Skin diseases can make you unclean, as well as uh menstruation for you women. Like uh, I had my wife, she was reading through Leviticus and she was confused. She's like, Why is this thing unclean? Is that like sinful and bad? Am I like, no, no, no. It's there there's Just because something is unclean doesn't mean it is sinful. And so these things would make you unclean but aren't sinful. The chart, it's not perfect, but it gets the idea across effectively and helps us understand complicated things. Now on this chart, the thing that I want to focus on in regards to what we were talking about in chapter 19, God commanding Israel to be holy, is that word, consecrate. Important word. All right, consecrate means to dedicate formally to a divine purpose, to declare something sacred. It is the process of making something holy. Now, when something can be either a person or an object, when it is consecrated to a God, dedicated to a God, that means three things for the thing that's being consecrated. One, what is consecrated now belongs exclusively to that God. Two, what is consecrated can now only be used for that God's purposes. And three, the thing that was consecrated must now take on the character of the God it was consecrated to. And these things are the things that God was beginning to instruct Israel how to do in chapter 19 in Leviticus. When God told them to be holy, then then proceeded to give them moral commandments. And then not only that, the rest of the Old Testament law, God was instructing Israel like this. Listen, you all have chosen to be in a covenant with me. You must consecrate yourselves. You must belong exclusively to me. You must consecrate yourselves... Wait, no, I'm going backwards. You must belong exclusively to me, no longer to yourselves. I am going to use you, Israel, for my purposes of blessing the entire world through you. I'm going to teach you my character so that you can be a reflection of it. And this is one of the primary reasons why God gave Israelites the law to begin with. So that they would learn how to consecrate themselves. So that they would learn how to dedicate themselves to God. To make themselves exclusively owned to God. To be used for His purposes and to reflect Him. Because being holy according to God is more than just being different and set apart. It also means that we belong exclusively to God now. That we are to be used only for God's purposes. It also means that now we must reflect the character of God. Now, these three things, they are important, but there is still more to learn. All right. Remember, I was saying we need lessons from both the Old Testament and the New Testament to get a complete picture of what God of what in God's view holiness is. But before we jump straight into the New Testament, there is still some foundation we need to build to understand the significance of what happens there. So back to the chart, because something else we learn from Levitical law is how these three things can mix and what the result is. Where did I go? There we are. When you have holy things, and they mix with common things, do the holy things make the common things holy, or do the common things make the holy things common? What do you guys think? All right, I hear I heard a few commons. And that's right, the commons... The common things, when mixed with the holy, make the holy thing common, much like when clean things mix with unclean things. When you drop a freshly clean plate, much to your detriment, much to your horror, into the trash on accident, are you now able to eat your food off the plate and the trash? No. You shouldn't at least. Don't, don't do that. What are you doing? No. No. <laughs> Because we know that unclean things make clean things dirty. Simple, basic process. The holy and the common, they mix, it becomes common. The clean, common things mixed with the unclean, sinful things becomes unclean and sinful. It doesn't go the other way around unless when it's mixed. You can go through the process of cleansing and consecrating it, but you can't have it mixed all the while you're doing that. Because... It will make it unclean. It will make it common. And we can see the importance of this in how the Old Testament temple was constructed. Because God lived amongst his people in the temple. The temple was in the center of camp. If you guys don't know how the Israelite camp was in the Old Testament, God lived amongst his people, but only in the temple. The temple was at the center of camp, and it was built in a certain way, and I'm going to go through that. God's presence... His raw glory and holiness resided in a room called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. And the Holy of Holies was separated by a veil, a big thick curtain, from the room it was inside. And, that ro- and the room it was inside is called the Holy Place. So it's a room within a room. And then that room is inside the temple, but it's separated from the temple. And then the temple was separated from the Israelite camp. So God resided in a room that was separate from another room, and that room was separated from the temple, and that temple was separated from the camp. And the only people that were allowed into the holy place were the temple priests. Now, people could go into the temple to do uh, their sacrifices and things, but then you get to the holy place, which is separated from the temple. Only priests. They are allowed to go in there and do their priestly duties. And the only person that was allowed in the most holy place, within the holy place, where God's raw presence was, was the high priest, the head priest, the head honcho. But he couldn't just stroll in there whenever he wanted. This guy, he was only allowed to enter one day a year, once. This day was called the Day of Atonement. And he was only able to enter after he followed the proper steps laid out in Leviticus 16. And what happens in Leviticus 16? It is an entire chapter full of instructions, sacrifices, and rituals that the high priest must go through in order to properly be consecrated to enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. This guy had a lot of stuff to go through to be properly consecrated. I'll tell you what, whole chapter, complicated stuff. And the reason for that, the reason the temple was constructed this way was so that God could reside amongst his people while being separated from anything that was unclean or unconsecrated, which just so happened to include the people that he resided amongst. That's why he was in the room within the room within the temple, separated from the camp. Now, if the high priest failed to follow all the instructions laid out in Leviticus 16, or what if maybe an unclean person just decides to enter the Holy of Holies, what would happen? Not good things. Because, well, normally, normally what we just learned, a holy thing that comes into contact with the unconsecrated or unclean thing would become profane or corrupted. Normally, but our God is incorruptible. So what happens? The answer is found in Leviticus 16.2. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he's going to die. Dead. Dead last week candace was talking about that one that uh one i don't remember his name the one guy who like went to go uh lift up the ark of the covenant dead man that guy's gone if he does he will die for the ark's cover the place of atonement is the place of atonement is there and i myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover the unclean unconsecrated person would die the high priest, if he failed to, and he just, you know, well, mm, we'll see. I know the Bible says to do this, but let, maybe if I just do it this way, dude, that dude's gone. He's going to enter that place and he's dead. Then in fact, every time on the day of atonement, when the high priest went to the most holy place, they would tie a rope around him. As he went in, he would rock in with bells so that as he walked around and did his uh, the ritual and uh, placed the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, he would be jingling around. And if they stopped hearing the jingling, mm, didn't false Leviticus 16. That dude dead. And that's because God's holiness is dangerous to the unconsecrated. And this is something that I think the world is very aware of on a primitive level. How many times have any of you guys invited someone to church and they said something like this? If I step foot in there, I burst into flames. If I go to church, God smites me on the spot. Who in here has heard this? I've heard it. I've invited plenty of people to church that this was the answer. That's because these people, they understand on a base, primitive level, not really like an in-depth understanding, but they understand what holiness is. Now, they may not really understand what holiness is, but they know it when they see it. And when they see it, it triggers an innate response to the danger of a sinful thing encountering a holy God. Now, with that understanding, let's go to Isaiah. Man, because, you know, Isaiah's up here preaching. We got to go to the book of Isaiah, right? Yeah. But something crazy happens in Isaiah. Something that takes so much of what we just learned, so much of this chart that we've been looking at, and throws a curveball at it, man. doesn't make much sense when you understand this. Weird. And that takes place in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm sure many of you have read this. I'm sure many of you have heard the song, Here I am, Lord, send me. That's where it comes from, Isaiah 6. And it starts out like this. Verse 1. This is Isaiah's book, Isaiah's speaking. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We'll stop there. So the scene opens. Isaiah finds himself standing in the temple in front of the very presence of God. He says, I saw God. I saw the Lord. Crazy stuff. Now, Isaiah, he was Jewish. Excuse me. He grew up learning the law. He knew the customs and the rules of temple worship. He knew this chart. Only priests allowed in the holy place. Only the high priest allowed in the holy of holies, and only on one time a year. And here Isaiah finds himself standing before God himself, seeing God with his own eyes in the temple, inside the Holy of Holies. Now, with what we just learned, how do you think Isaiah responds to this? Very unique situation he finds himself in. Probably how anyone would respond faced with their inevitable smiting. Verse 5 of Isaiah 6 says this, Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. This guy starts freaking out. He goes full Hudson from Aliens, if you get the reference. It's game over, man. Game over. It's a great movie, (laughs) Aliens. You know, maybe, maybe you get the reference. But ego, he freaking out. Look at what Isaiah says. I am a sinful man. I have unclean lips. I live amongst a people with unclean lips. I know the verse on the screen says filthy, but other translations use unclean, and that gets the point across better. Isaiah knows he's unclean. Go back to the chart for a sec. He's over there. He's not up here. Isaiah knows he's unclean. That he lives amongst people who are unclean. He knows what is holy and what is unclean must never come into contact. And because of that, he's going to die. But he doesn't die. Crazy. Crazy. Instead, something completely unexpected happens. All right, verse 6 through 7. Then one of the seraphim... Seraphim are uh, angels, weird-looking things. You can read about them. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in its hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What? (laughs) What? Bro, imagine. So this angel takes a piece of coal, a piece of coal that has been consecrated, that belongs to God, that is used solely for the purposes of God, a piece of coal that is holy, and places it on lips that are unclean. And when that coal touches Isaiah's lips, it's not corrupted. Rather, it transforms Isaiah himself. It cleanses his unclean lips. It makes them clean. That's not supposed to be how it works. I can only imagine a Jewish person reading this for the first time, man. Isaiah's like, bro, you won't believe what just happened. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, what's going on here? What, what? What could this possibly mean? This We know this ain't how it works. We know the chart. Maybe some of you are asking, well, I'm not going to tell you. All right? Not right now, at least. I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I'm just going to leave you with that, and we'll come back to it. Now, our final lesson on what it means to be holy can be found by examining two old New Testament stories found in Mark chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 8. But before we read those, there's a lot of that. It's like, oh, we're about to go here, but before, because there's a lot of stuff to this. But before we do that, we first need to analyze a dude by the name of Jesus. Perhaps you've heard of him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the epitome of holiness, comes down to earth to live amongst mankind, sinful, unclean mankind, And based on what we know about holy and unclean things mixing, that sounds like a recipe for disaster. Jesus comes down, people dropping dead everywhere. Right? Well, let's see. Let's read Mark chapter 5, 25 through 34. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent it all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowds and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. This dude's a battery. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Who in here has been to New York? New York. You been to Times Square? Dude, I've been there during the Macy's Day Parade. I'm walking around. Who touched me? How many people are going to punch me in the face? A lot. All right, it don't make no sense. It's a, dumb, it's a dumb question, you know? And the disciples, as visually as they are, what do they say? They say, you see people crowding against you, my man, Jesus. And yet you ask, who touched me? And Jesus kept looking around. He's like, no, I know someone did. He looked around to see who'd done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now with what we understand about clean and unclean things, that brings up some questions. But keep that in the back of your mind. Keep this story in the back of your mind. Because we are going on to the next story. Matthew 8, 1 through 3. And then we'll piece it together after. Matthew 8, 1 through 3 says this. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. What? That does not make sense at all. All right? Here in these two stories, we see two unclean people, a leper and a bleeding woman coming into contact with holiness itself. The God of the universe, the apex of holiness. Two things that are never to come into contact, the unclean and the holy. Now, the holiness of Jesus wasn't corrupted. As we said earlier, God is incorruptible, but neither were these two killed on the spot. Why is that? Well, this is because Jesus, He came down to earth as one of us. His raw holiness, His glory, veiled by His human form. Like the veil in the Holy of Holies. It's still present, His holiness. He's still the apex of holiness. He is still holiness and glory personified as He was still fully God. But it was veiled by His humanity as He was also fully man. Okay, but not only were they not destroyed, okay, he's veiled, I get it, but they weren't destroyed, but they were transformed and healed instead. They were made clean. Bring the chart back up. Dion, all right, here we go, I I love you, Dion. (laughs) She's going to give me stuff, she's like, I say, clean things don't make dirty things Clean. Dirty things make clean things dirty. What's going on here? What's going on here is the fulfillment of what was being foreshadowed in Isaiah 6. Jesus Christ, God himself, came down to earth revealing more aspects of his character to humanity. And not only that, revealing our final peace to understanding the full picture of what it is to be holy. And that piece is this. Holiness, holy people make unclean things clean. An unclean, a clean, holy God coming down Just to transform some trash i will preach. That's good stuff. Now you must ask now you might ask yourself, well what's changed? You were just talking about how holiness, you know it's dangerous. Why is the same holiness that was once dangerous to the unclean now used to purify it? And the answer to that? is God's grace and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice atoned for our sins and our uncleanliness. In the moment Jesus died on the cross, the Bible tells us that that veil that we were talking about earlier, that veil in the Holy of Holies that separated God's presence, His holiness and His glory from the rest of sinful, unclean mankind, that veil torn in two as soon as Jesus died. And what does that tell us? This means that God is no longer separated from us. He doesn't have to be. Now God's presence, His holiness, has found a new home, and it ain't in the temple. It's in you and me, each and every person who declares Jesus as Lord. And with that final piece, we can put the whole picture together. We can put up the final slide. Let's compile all we've learned and find out what it is to truly be holy in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, holiness is set apart from the world. It's still set apart. It's still different. It is still other. You and me, we are called to be set apart. We are called to be other. Different from the rest of the world in how we behave, how we think, and how we live, and how we speak. Being holy means we belong exclusively to God. You might have read 1 Corinthians 6:19. It says, "You do not belong to yourself, for you were bought at a high price. This is what it means. That's what that means. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. Being holy means we are used only for God's purposes. This is what Jesus meant in Luke 9, 23-24 when he said, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it but if you give it up for my sake, you'll save it. When he says take up your cross, maybe that imagery doesn't come across to us how it came across to the original listeners. Maybe you've heard it said, die to yourself. Who in here has heard that before? If not, you heard it today. When he says, pick up your cross and follow me, he's saying that you are dead. You're dying. Die to yourself. Because if you hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, you'll save it. Our work, our desires, our goals, all we do must be consecrated, must be made holy devoted to bringing god glory devoted to his purposes being holy it means we must reflect the character of god how do we do that we listen to our consciences we listen to the leading of the holy spirit we must study the word and know the character of God. And then as we learn the character of God, take it on ourselves. To reflect that to the world. We must be sanctified. Preached on that a while ago, maybe some of you were there. We must be sanctified. The process of becoming holy, the Holy Spirit taking, It's placed inside of us. And us partnering with the Holy Spirit, continuing to make ourselves more holy. God making us more holy by taking on His character. Being holy, it means we are to make unclean things clean. God ain't in the temple no more, y'all. This building is just a building that we get to meet in. Praise God. Holy Spirit, God himself lives in you. His holiness, his full holiness and his full glory are inside of each and every one of us who calls Jesus Lord. And because of that, we have the capacity to make the unclean things, the unclean people around us clean. We just got to reach that capacity. Put it into practice. We need to share the gospel. The good news. God said, Make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. Tell others about Jesus. Be a light to a dark world. Provide peace to those who are hopeless. Provide peace and hope to those who are hopeless. That's what it means to be holy. It's not just morality, that part fits into us taking on God's character, because God is moral. But there's more to it, man. You don't get to sit on the sidelines. We're called to be holy. We gotta make the unclean things clean. Maybe you're like holding off some piece of yourself, man. Like I, all this is dedicated to God, but this one thing I'm holding back. Well, I'll tell you what, you ain't holy, not yet. There's pieces of you that's holy. But are you used only for God's purposes? Are you still holding on to things that you yourself love and that are profaning your holiness? This is what it is to be holy, and it's not optional. I'll leave you guys with this: Hebrews twelve fourteen. Work means us putting things into practice. God works within us but we also have stuff to do. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. That's serious. Go up the previous slide again. Those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Any of you guys have something to work on? I do. That's why I wrote a sermon about it. Would you guys bow your heads? Drink water real quick. God, I thank you so much for sending me on this journey that I get to share with my church family. God, I had holiness on my heart for some time and it just so happened, I was planning on writing it for youth. It just so happened that right around that time, Candace came up and said, yo, write a sermon, throws the Bible in front of me, have at it, man. God, you had this message for this church. And we thank you for that, God. I pray for each and every one of us, that we can take these pieces of holiness now that we have the complete picture and put it into practice in our lives. Now, I want to pray for you guys. I have two things that I want to pray for you guys for. So take a second as I'm talking about it. Think about it. If it's you, I'll give you guys a sec. The, The first one is for those of you who look at this and you see an area where you've been falling short of holiness. Because that's serious. And I would like to pray for you. And also, the second one is for those who are still unclean. Who are still sinful. Who haven't yet come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in in God speaking to you. And he's saying, today is your day. To make a commitment. To be cleansed to begin to consecrate yourself and reflect me. If that is you today, I'd like to pray for you as well. But first, let's pray for the first one. There's people in here who look at this these things and they've been falling short. If that is you, you can raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. God, I thank you for those hands. Each and every one of them, God the hand that you taught me <laughs> so I could come and proclaim it and let them know that there's things that they need to change. And I thank you, God, because I'm in this too, man. There's parts of me that are not yet holy. God, I pray for each and every one of us in this room who see our problems, who see our failures laid out before us. Give us peace and grace and mercy, Jesus. Holy Spirit, begin to help them work into implementing these aspects of holiness, into becoming the perfect picture of holiness, so that reflecting you, God, to their friends, to their family, to their world, Jesus, help us to be a holy people, a holy church in all aspects of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. If there's anyone in here who would like to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior today, we'd like to be cleansed and begin this process of consecrating your life. If that is you, you can raise your hand and I would like to pray with you. And also our uh, ushers, if you raise, keep your hand raised, they'll, uh, they'll slip you a little slip and it'll teach you some things on how to get started. And online, if this is you, you can text the number that will be on the screen if you would like, if you make this decision. But for those of you who would like to make this decision, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Right now, you're believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. All you have to do is confess with your mouth to get started on this journey. And I would like to lead you in that today. If you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, you can pray this prayer. God, forgive me. And thank you for showing me that I am sinful, that I am unclean. God, purify me, cleanse me, become my Lord, my Savior, and my King, and lead me in this life from this moment on until the day I come to meet you. Forgive me for my sins. I thank you, God, for dying for me, for setting me free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, this is a journey. What you prayed is not a one-way ticket out of hell. It is the start of a lifelong journey that requires work. Begin putting these things. Open up the Bible, read it, learn what God expects from you, and put that on yourself to reflect that. To the world. Thank you
1: guys for allowing me to preach. Uh, I'll be around. Thank you, Pastor Isaiah. Wasn't that great? It is sometimes a difficult uh, subject to get a hold of and understand. The cool thing is, is that Holy Spirit, if you ask Him when you're born again, will show you and reveal to you. And on uh, Ephesians 1, Paul talks about the mystery this is a mystery. We can't, at this point, understand the Lord. Some of it we get in part. We don't understand how does the Holy God live in us and make us holy by the blood of Jesus. It's a mystery. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you for worshiping with us. We thank you for being here in this snowy day. Uh, well, it was snowy yesterday. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you to all those that came out, those that are listening online. That we're receiving from you, we're receiving your word. Thank you, Father, that you're changing us day by day. As we look in as your word, as James says, that we look into a mirror, that we be changed, not turn around and walk away. But your Holy Spirit is making us renewed, more like you, as we get closer and closer to the Lord, that holy, that that like the bright white cleanses us and makes us. Uh, that we begin to see where we are and we begin to be changed by your word, by the glory of God, by the blood of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Go with us now this week that may we walk with you, that we may be your people in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to IMN. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.